Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and growing to be what is one of my favorite segments is at least two Jews and a Gentile, and that's what I have in studio today. I've got at least two and one Gentile. My Gentile is Pastor Aaron Broughton, and my Jewish-believing brothers are Trevor Rubenstein and Tom Berkowitz. Gentlemen, welcome. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I would say a lot has happened since the last time we met. I want to kind of open the, the floor today and have some heartfelt discussions on what's going on in the Middle East. I got to tell you, when I woke up on Saturday, October 7th, it's the great last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. You can read about it in John 7 when Jesus stood up on that great and last day. When I heard what was coming on, I didn't believe it at first. It was on, I mean, who could even imagine? And the the atrocities, it was numbing to me. Yeah, we got, um, woke up that morning to getting emails and text messages from our Israeli friends. Our our family served for several years in Tel Aviv. And uh, to us, Israel is like our home. The Israeli people are family. And so the idea is that when one person gets hurt or killed in that area, it's as if your own child was or killed. So our hearts broke and try to call, make phone calls and all that. And it was like live, you know, it was more than what you would see on the news even. And our hearts broke. We immediately went to prayer and uh, we quickly spread the word to our, our church um, as I pastor. And we want to be that uh, very um, a focal point for our, our church in our church auditorium, Victory Baptist in Maple Grove. Uh, we proudly display the Israeli flag. And the principle is that the gospel is to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. And that is our heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel to be saved. And we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Um, Not just physical peace, you know, with the neighbors, we want that, but a a deeper peace, the peace that only Yeshua, the Messiah, can give. So our hearts are breaking, um, still are. We have one of our close friends whose cousin was murdered by Hamas. Um, So this has hit home on so many levels. Yeah, one of our good friends over there, their niece was killed brutally in that open air um, concert that they were having. Yeah, and uh, and we know a lot of uh, you know ministry people in Israel, and uh, something that happened as a result, of course, is uh, you know Israel's a very small nation, so um, they have to call so much of their citizens to uh, to serve and so we we you know we have a I work for an organization where we have 30 plus employees in Israel right and uh, and any of them that were under 40 years of age were called back to service and uh, oh. and yeah some of our other ministry friends um and you know and here's the reality right uh, none none of the uh, Israeli people want to fight they they need to to defend themselves, but it's never their desire. And so it's really just kind of heart-wrenching for everybody involved. And by the grace of God, fortunately, and I try to keep as much of a positive view as you can, is, uh, is maybe it'll open up hearts. 
and people will uh, will see um, really need for something greater, spiritual, something greater than than what we have. You know, I um, I'm always reminded of this, and this is almost the most heart wrenching thing for me is is that uh, I'm, I'm excited about departing from this world. I really am because my eternity is established. I, mm-hmm. I can Amen. I can be with the Lord, but for people that don't know Him, to die is horrific. And uh, and so we see so many Jewish people that our heart is to reach, and uh, and if they die without the Lord, I mean that's not what we want. We want more and more people to know Him, and so that's really the focus, I think, um, that I have throughout all of this is praying for them, and in any way that we can serve, show the love of the Lord. All those things are really important. What gets me is Israel is the one who's spearheading the physical battle over there. But Israel is really the corporate Jew. So it's affecting Jews worldwide. Even here in the United States, even here in Minnesota, we're feeling the the hate. I haven't felt hate like this for years. In fact, I haven't felt hate like this in the 44 years I've been walking with the Lord. Mm. Felt anti-Semitism growing up. But this is... Uh, taking it to a new level mm-hmm. in the hate that's being shown. Yeah, and, and that's been massive. Actually, I, I, I have some uh, Jewish neighbors who have asked me to help them with certain things with their like elderly parents and things of that nature because uh, uh, they're they're just so scared of if if uh, so. For example, there's a Holocaust survivor lady that lives just down the street from me and. Uh, and her her children are scared as to who's going to go pick her up and bring her to her appointment. So I've been doing a lot of that kind of work even in the neighborhood because there really is a, there's a legitimate fear and it's legitimate. I mean, uh, in our largest high school, uh, Jewish populated high school in the Minnesota area, uh, a lot of the parents had to go confront the leadership because the students are being attacked for being Jewish. Whoa. And, uh, um, and so this is uh, this is something that's real and that's uh, coming home to Tom's point and uh, and uh, you know difficult to deal with, uh, heavy, um, but uh, you know prayerfully uh, the Lord often uses tragedy to bring forth some form of redemption. So we're praying into that also. Mm-hmm. The global war on Jews has seemed to have accelerated so quickly over the last thirty days. I think it was always there's an underlying and it's uh feeling yeah that's been suppressed, but now it's brought up in the open, and so the lid or the governors that have been in there mm-hmm. keeping it below the surface have gone they have yeah. exploded, and it, college campuses I'm shocked at their response, and you know Jewish kids. Do not feel safe virtually anywhere in this country. You know, though, Tom, like we, we've been warning people about this. We've been warning them that this is coming because we, we see what the campuses have been teaching and the, uh, the emphasis of the, of the hatred and animosity unjust towards uh, towards Israel, the establishment of Israel, these type of things. And so, uh, so now, of course, when there's any type of catalyst, that then can prod what all these students have been trained up in for many, many years. Of course, this is the direction it was going to go. We, we've been trying to warn people. It's just they don't listen. What's really ironic to me 
is some of these uh, organizations were backed and funded by Jewish organizations. Mm-hmm. When, yep. when we're going through other uh, social problems, and every one of them have turned on their Jewish benefactors who contributed money and stood with them, mm-hmm. it's shocking to me. Yeah, the first, uh, I think the first pro-Hamas protest, pro which is really what it was, this is before Israel even responded to anything that occurred. There was a protest in New York that was done by an organization called the Democratic Socialists, and uh, and they they just immediately started protesting in favor of the Palestinian people, and Israel hadn't done anything at all in retaliation at this point, and their founder, to your point, was a Jewish man. Um, and he disassociated himself entirely uh, because he said that this is just disgusting. Yeah. Here's a, uh, from one of our friends over in Israel, we talked with her, and she said these young soldiers who are now going into the kibbutz uh, Im and, and places where this force from hell was put on them, they can't unsee it. Yeah. You can't unsee something. So how do you handle that? I read, for, I think it was in Joe Rosenberg's uh, um, newsletter that pre-war, 25% of Israel's population was suffering from PTSD. It's got to have sky, it will yeah. skyrocket once this is done. Yeah. That's why they need us, the church, mm-hmm. to be there. Yes, absolutely. We need to heal the spirits. And I think God is preparing us for even a greater time of judgment for us not walking with him. And during these times like this, he will pour out his grace. And hopefully we see uh, an ingathering of the Jewish people and Gentile people to the living God, because we're going to need that going forward. I think it's interesting that some of our our Jewish friends' reaction to all this. We have an Israeli friend who lives up in northern Minnesota. She has a little souvenir shop. Um, and so we I called her uh, that morning just checking in on her, and she was busy and called me that night, and she was just weeping. And she was just in, in shock, as all of us were. But this hits home. She has family in North Tel Aviv. That's where she's from. She's the only family member here um, in Minnesota anyway. and uh, But anyway, she said this, that, Thank you for standing with us. You are my brother. You are my family. You're one of us. And uh, we visited her just after that in person, gave her a big hug. And she said, you know, of all the other shopkeepers that are in, everyone knows everyone. All the shopkeepers know everyone. And she said not one of those other shopkeepers came and checked on her. And her customers did. You knew that knew her. But none of the others. And her response was this. Uh, and uh, she kind of floored me. She says, I know why those people didn't come to check on me. They don't go to church. Mm. And so it's like, this is an opportunity. Will the real Christians stand up? Jesus himself was Jewish. The disciples were Jewish. The Bible we have in our hands is Jewish. And yet we ignore and turn our back away. That, of course, has been a problem in Christianity. I'm using the big C um, throughout the centuries. But what an opportunity is for us to stand with Israel, stand with the Jewish people, and doing this in honoring to the Lord. Mm -hmm. That was our Gentile uh, pastor, Aaron Broughton. We are enjoying another episode of At Least Two Jews and a Gentile, and we're um, talking about what's happening right now in Israel, in the Middle East, and and the, we're still trying to sort our way through the shock of all that's happening and the anti-Semitism that's uh, 
seeming seems to have exploded across our, our world. And here in the West, I know we've spent decades after the Holocaust vowing to never allow this to happen again, to let us slide into such barbarism. And it seems that it's on its way returning, given the level of barbarism we're hearing about right now over in Israel. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to your to your point, isn't that uh, how does that even resonate? How does that even make sense that as a result of innocent Jewish people being slaughtered, the exact result is massive increase of anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. To like to Tom's point earlier, there it, it's always existed at some level. People just look for a reason to uh, to further exploit it. Um, and uh, and you know the, the scripture's clear, and and I I haven't seen an exception to this going throughout. All of the history of the of the uh, of the Hebrew scriptures, or even the prophetic scriptures, speaking of future events, God judges the nations based on anti-Semitism from the very beginning. So when we look at Egypt, for example, and the way that they were treating the people of Israel, God judged them. He brought judgment upon Egypt. Then when Israel was uh, coming came into the promised land and we see other nations come and conquered them, God used their anti-Semitism when they took their, their attacks against the people of Israel too far to judge Assyria, to judge Babylon. This is the story of of the book of Esther, where we have, uh, where we have uh, wicked Haman trying to turn the nation against Israel, and God used that to bring judgment on them. And even pr- in the prophetic scriptures regarding the Gog-Magog war, it's the nations rising up against Israel that God uses to judge the nations. In the Zechariah 12 war, it's God using all of the nations to gather against Israel to bring judgment upon them. And so it's uh, it's really a sad state. I think it's spiritually heavy because really partially what we see out of um, out of this uh, unjust hatred of the Jewish people is is uh, from all indicators in scripture heading towards some form of judgment well right. said Trevor Rubenstein I appreciate that we've been called to provoke Israel to a godly jealousy how are we going to do that if we don't show love and walk alongside them in their darkest hours and that's what Paul says. He said, how much um, th- through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel jealous. Then Paul is saying, uh, I imagine I magnify my ministry in order s- somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. That's what we're called to do. You can't do that with a stick. That you have to do it showing love. They have to see your lifestyle, and they're going to want that peace and that joy that we have even in the midst of trials. There's got to be something different. We have to be salt and light. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a little break. We're going to continue when we come back. Our uh, friends, Tom Berkowitz, Aaron Broughton, and Trevor Rubenstein. It's at least two Jews and a Gentile. We're going to be right back in just a minute. Hi, this is Bill Arnold, host of the Afternoon Show. Do you uh, still believe God is good? I think oftentimes when you share Christ with people, they want to ask two questions. Is God good and can God be trusted? 
So do you believe he cares about the condition of you and your life and your soul? And do you think he still answers prayer? Well, I promise Susie Larson is going to help you wake up to the goodness of God and point you towards healing and wholeness. If you're in for an adventure of a lifetime and to be used by God, just text the word good to 877-933-2484 to get encouraging texts, prayers, and devotions from our own Susie right to your phone. Connecting Faith to Life, Faith Radio. We are talking about a heavy topic today, what's going on in Israel and the Middle East. It is at least two Jews and a Gentile. My Jewish-believing friends are Tom and Trevor, and my Gentile friend is Aaron. That's the panel today. Uh, Now, gentlemen, in the midst of the crisis that's going on, we do have to look for God's grace in this, don't we, Tom? We do. We do. I was just sharing with, with our brothers during the break time that one of the greatest outpourings of Jewish evangelism in the history of of the world was from 1920 to 1940, somewhere between 300,000 on the conservative end up to 500,000 worldwide, Jews came into a saving knowledge that Jesus is the Messiah. And they just didn't make a confession of faith. They were discipled and they became intricate parts of the church and messianic congregations. Well, the ones in Europe, it could have been anywhere from 250 to 300,000 of them were caught up in the Holocaust and were taken to Nazi death camps. And while there, they suffered the same fate of the other Jews, except for one thing. They had a joy in their heart because they know the truth of Jesus is the Messiah. I call them my heroes, because I know in my heart of hearts, they shared their faith with those who didn't know. And, but God knows the answer. How many said yes as they were going to their death? What an act of grace. I can't even comprehend. Tears come to my eyes when I think about this. You know, you know what's uh, a little heart-wrenching about this historically, too, uh, Tom, is that... Uh, Every time that we've seen before there's a massive act of anti-Semitism, we generally see an, a large increase of faith, particularly amongst the Jewish people. And this, the first example of this that we see is in uh, the first century, where according to Acts chapter 21, we have tens of thousands of Jewish people that come to faith before 70 AD, where Jerusalem is uh, is largely just wiped out. But but something that's that's interesting, especially with what we see happening now, is the greatest movement in world history of Jewish people coming to faith is in America today, where uh, where we were talking about you know uh, up to a half a million Jewish people in those years. Today we're talking about running up to a million Jewish people in America, and so. Uh, it's a, it's a little um, it's it's encouraging, but also um, also a little uh, uh, I don't know I, I'm saddened a little bit because uh, unfortunately often God will will do a wonderful work in people, but it, it's because of what's coming and uh, and so because of the massive movement, I wonder if there's going to be some form of massive anti-Semitic things that we're going to even see here. Yes, I don't think this is going to stop anytime soon. But about 35 years ago, one of the foundational things in my life happened when I met Richard Wormbrandt 
and had a chance to talk with him. Richard Wormbrandt uh, was a Jewish believer in Jesus, a Lutheran pastor, and he with other Christians and Jews were caught up into the Romanian prison cell where it would be the size of someone's uh, living room with no windows in the dark dungeon, and everybody's thrown in there. Jews, Christians, Jews that believed in Jesus, and then all the intellectuals and the atheists. And he told me a story, and this is what is etched deep inside me, of Sam. Sam was a Messianic Jew, and Sam felt for the people there, and he would share his very limited rations with other people that needed it more, and he dressed their wounds. But he was a favorite target of the atheists and the intellectuals who just used to chastise him for two things, one for being a Jew and one for believing that Jesus was the Messiah. And finally one day they said to Sam, if you can convince us, if you can give us the words that we can believe that Jesus is real, we'll believe in him. So Richard said the story, Sam kind of brushed himself up. He stood up and he smiled. And uh, it was like the radiance of God's grace fell on him. And all those intellectuals and atheists sat down with tears in their eyes because you couldn't make it up. In that hellish dungeon, he had the joy of the Lord, and it radiated. So that, to me, is a clarion call for us to go out and witness to our friends and be salt and light to this world. Absolutely. This is a a prime time for, and I'm speaking to our Gentile friends who are listening as well, how uh, we should have a heart for the Jewish people, especially during this time. Um, I was talking about our Israeli friend earlier, and uh, this was a time I I was praying for a moment that God would just open a window to really just share God's love and truth. So we were able to give her a Hebrew-English Bible. She said, yeah, I have a, a Hebrew Tanakh, you know, the Old Testament. And but not in English as well. So she was so excited. She says, "You know, I'm at my store more than I'm at home. I'm going to keep it here." So I'm praying that she'll read on her breaks. And my wife who's with me. She says, "You know, through this, you're going to find real peace." And so um, it, it's, this is a, a prime opportunity. Another thing I'm praying for too is uh, many of our young people who, I mean, I held as babies. They're now serving as reservists or in the IDF. They're on the front lines right now. I just checked with one of my friends right before we came to studio, and fortunately, they're okay whatever that means now, but they're, mm-hmm. they're okay considering. Um, and so I'm praying that these believers who are in these units um, that are on the front lines, also up in the north on Lebanon and Syrian border, that they would be that light for the Lord in, in those areas too. So pray, pray that God would use these moments. People are asking questions. They're wondering, they're confused, they're angry. A lot of emotions going at the same time. Uh, but I pray that we will find the true peace that passes all understanding and share that with others. Thank you, Aaron Broughton. So is there biblical prophecy connected to what's going on, or is this another round of hatred and violence and barbarism? Well, I think the answer is we don't know. Okay. We can just hold on to the prophecy. I think it's birth pangs. Mm -hmm. I don't... Somebody asked me, do you see this as a fulfillment of Ezekiel 38? I don't see that now. Because not the whole world is against Israel right now. There are allies like the United States. How long they stay that way, I don't know. We don't see the Northern Alliance 
really formed and ready for battle. But here's the point. The point is we need to be ready. We need to gear up now while we have time rather than after the fact. So if we're reading the prophecies, we know this is the beginning, at least the beginning of birth pangs. Let's prepare ourselves. Let's get ready spiritually, emotionally, and intellectually. Mm -hmm. And of course, we don't know what it leads into either. And uh, could this be the beginning of, we don't know. Uh, That's that's to Tom's point, the reality. Um, But but of course, it is biblical prophecy in that um, the scriptures are very clear that uh, anti-Semitism is something that always has existed and always will exist. So we do see components to it prophetically. Um, Also, uh, we understand that the world uh, has come up against Israel and will come up against Israel in the future. So I think that sometimes when we we look at prophecy, we'll be looking for a very specific um, fulfillment of a particular event, but still God's truth and God's word continues throughout the time in history. And we do see that, uh, at least in a heart sense, occurring even now. Mm -hmm. One thing that I've seen, too, is... I have lost count how many people I've talked to, like neighbors, for example, uh, who are not believers, but they say, hey, we know you know about Israel. (laughs) (laughs) And they're asking questions. And I had one of my friends, my neighbor, who says, I never even heard about Hamas until just now. (laughs) She's never heard of it. And so I think there's a lot of people who are just, that's something way over there. It's out of our realm. It's out of our scope. We don't have to pay attention to it. But this has really grabbed people's attention. Yeah. And so I alluded to, and I don't know if she's ever read this or not, but I, I said, you know, the book of Zechariah, chapter 12, says that one day Jerusalem will become like that intoxicating cup and that the nations are going to look at this. And you look at this in perspective to everything that goes on in the world, other crises that have gone on. Why is so much media attention, government attention on this specific conflict right now? And it, this is something different. And I will say this, this, this conflict is not something that we've had back even a few years ago, the tit-for-tat type of, you know, fire rockets, there's a retaliation. This is something different. And especially now that you got Yemen involved, you have other proxies that are involved as well. Um, some people say this is like a mini world war or the potential for that. Whether or not that's going to happen or not, we don't know. But this is something that is grabbing people's attention. And what a prime opportunity is for us to share Hey, let's look at what the scriptures say. Yeah. Look at these prophecies. Uh, look at scripture. Find out who Jesus is and why this is so significant. Why is anti-Semitism a problem? If you ask people, why do you hate the Jews? Why do you hate Israel? I'll be honest with you. There's really not a lot of good answers that you're hearing. Yeah. Mm. Well, right. And uh, just just real briefly, I was just thinking about this the other day, and I think Aaron's younger than I am. I'm pretty confident, actually. But but in, at least Aaron in my life— We're both young men. <laughs> but at least in, in Aaron in my lifetime, this is actually the first time that we've seen Israel go to war. Okay. And so for people Gen X and, uh, and often younger, this is the first Israel war they've ever experienced. So uh, it's going to bring their attention back to this place, and which is a great opportunity, to Aaron's point, to bring people back to Scripture. Because I think it was really formative um, for the baby boomers and the people of, of the even the World War II generation generation to to really bring their attention back to focus of the scripture when they see events happening in the very place that we see prophetic scripture needing to occur. Um, so God willing, this could be an open door for not just Jewish people, but also for Gentiles to reevaluate the scripture and go back to it. Amen. But we have to understand this, what Paul wrote, 
For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, Mm -hmm. against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So getting back to what you asked, Bill, Paul said this is going to happen because our war is not against flesh and blood. And back in Genesis 3.15, God declared war on Satan. And Satan has to make God a liar. And the way he's going to do it is destroy the Jewish people. He's already persecuting the the other people. The other people are Gentiles who believe in Jesus. And they've declared their faith. They're the most persecuted religion in the world. If you go to Asia, if you go to India and uh, South America, Christians are being persecuted, even to their death. So this is all fulfillment of prophecy that goes way back to when God declared war on Satan, back in Genesis. That seems like a fairly good time to take a break. (laughs) We are uh, enjoying uh, an hour with at least two uh, Jews and a Gentile. This is... uh, relatively new segment, which I just love. My friends are Trevor Rubenstein, Aaron Broughton, and Tom Berkowitz. And we're going to be right back in just a minute. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. It's the Welcome back to the program. It is at least two Jews and a Gentile. We are discussing what's going on in, in the Middle East and Israel right now. And I'm so glad to have my friends Trevor, Aaron, and Tom sitting around the table. And Aaron, you brought something up that a neighbor said, I don't even know what Hamas is. And there's probably enough people listening that say, mm, me too. What yeah. is Hamas? Well, it, just to keep in mind, this our neighbor is, uh, well, put it this way, she could be my mother. Okay. You know, age-wise. Sure. And so, um, you know, this was this is kind of new. And I think for a lot of people, they're seeing maybe these names. They know generally there's a, there's always issues in the Middle East, Israel, Palestinians. Yeah. But who are the players? Um, and uh, I think it is worth noting to figure out who this is. And, you know, so Hamas is basically a part of the Muslim Brotherhood. Hamas itself stands for, is it's an Arabic acronym, meaning Islamic Resistance Movement. Um and it's interesting, the Hebrew word Hamas, and you find it throughout the scripture, means violence. Really? And so and if, if, this is really interesting considering their history and they, they love death. And that's their own words. In their charter statement, almost the first thing they say is that we want the annihilation of Israel, which means really the Jewish people. you know. And so they want total control. Back in 2005, um, Israel, it was called the disengagement out of Gush Katif, it, this, these were settlements and uh, areas where Jewish people live, Israelis. Uh, they had greenhouses, factories, different things going on in there. We were living there at that time when they were pulling out Ariel Sharon, uh, who maybe some people remember that. He was mm-hmm. a prime minister and now passed away. And uh, anyways, they pulled out, and that was a big to-do in Israel. But since 2005, uh, there has been no Jewish people living in the Gaza Strip, which now is about 2.3 million uh, Palestinians who live there. The next year, 2006, um, they had an election, 
and they voted overwhelmingly to elect Hamas as their their leadership. Hamas is a political entity. Wow! But Did it is it's a political entity, but it's also a very militant, mm-hmm. uh, terroristic entity as well. So what's different between that and the West Bank is um, you have a different group that is led by Mahmoud Abbas. And that is Fatah, or is the old PLO, the Palestinian Liberation Organization. Think of Yasser Arafat. And so th- these groups are really against each other. So a big question, I know we're getting a little bit of geopolitics at the moment, but if Israel and their goal is to root out Hamas, take out the infrastructure, eliminate the leadership, things like that, well, who's going to be the leadership now in Gaza? And because of what happened between Hamas and Fatah, um, the PLO, there, when uh, Hamas took over, those supporters of PLO were actually uh, thrown off of buildings. They were they were killed and all. There, I mean, this is an internal fighting, and uh, and they have caused a lot of disruption. There's a lot of Arab countries that are not they they have refused to accept any of these Palestinians from Gaza because of the infiltration of Hamas. Egypt doesn't want them because they had to deal with Muslim Brotherhood just not that long ago. So, kind of getting into you know who is Hamas. Okay, they're not good guys. That's, mm-hmm. that's the basic understanding of it. But I think we have to go scripturally deeper. Why is there a conflict in the first place? You have to go all the way back to Genesis. Uh, we have Abraham who was promised a son. We know that promised son was Isaac. But remember, Abraham was getting a little impatient. Sarah wasn't getting younger. Hagar comes in the mix, and their child was Ishmael. Ishmael becomes the father of the Arab people, and then their descendants. You could throw in maybe a little bit of Esau, the Edomites. Or the Amalekites, those are probably words, if you've read your Bible at all, you might remember those from Sunday school. But those players have a part in what's going on in the conflict today. And so those descendants. So this is something, this is a biblical, a historical event. This is a, a family feud that's taking place in the Middle East. That's the that's kind of the, the big picture of this. And so um, the Jewish people, I'm going to turn to my Jewish brothers, the Jewish people who are there, it's it's a kind of a mixture. Uh, I think people are surprised to see the backgrounds of Jewish people that are now living in Israel. It's a melting pot. I think the most recent statistic is 53% of the Jewish population are Sephardic, Mizrahi, um, and 47% are uh, Ashkenazi. So the Ashkenazi would be um, lighter skin, white skin, the Sephardic would be darker than us, but lighter than an African. And now they have Ethiopian Jews and Jews from Zambia who have immigrated back and they have dark skin. So it's a melting pot of races. Well, I shouldn't say races because the commonality is they're all Jewish with skin color. So it has nothing to do with that. You cannot tell a Sephardic Jew from an Arab. They have the same skin tone. So it goes back to your family fight. It is. Yep. And, and kind of to the way Israel is now, you're about 9.7 million people in Israel proper. And about 22% of those are, are, are not Jewish. In fact, they're Arab and then you have other different groups. So there are Arab Israelis. They have citizenship. They, they're members of the Knesset. Um, our neighbors, my banker and my lawyer were Arabs, you know, living there. Uh, my wife went to high school at an international school. Several Arab, Jewish, and other different uh, nationalities represented there. The Druze that are there, Circassians, there's a lot of other different ethnic groups. So it's not a strictly Jew versus Arab issue. When Hamas went in and terrorized that, 
There were other nationalities. There was Thai workers, Nepali, Filipino workers that were there that are all affected. Uh, Bedouin villages, were ma- were, some of them were massacred during this time. In fact, it was interesting. Hamas, when they went in, they found a Bedouin and they said, you're more Jewish than the Jews. And they killed him in front of the family. And they're wearing the traditional Islamic garb. Well, wow. you know, so this is this is not this is a a different world. You know, talking about the Holocaust that happened about 80 years ago now, the the Germans, the Nazis, they try to cover up their tracks. They try to bulldoze crematorium. They try to do all they can to hide what they had done. But in this case, Hamas is totally opposite. They're bragging. They're videoing. They're recording everything. They want the world to know this is what we did. Hmm. This yeah. is totally different. The freest citizens in the Middle East are generally the uh, of the Muslim community are those that live within Israel. Right. Um where they they're able to vote and they have uh, they have very distinct rights and uh and it's actually uh, one of the only places that you aren't killed for uh for being uh, uh LGBTQ, right? And so uh um it, it's uh, fascinating the hatred that comes against Israel and the ignorance towards it because even even as Aaron just pointed out over 20% of the Israeli citizens, not the ones in the Gaza, not the ones in the West Bank are Arab or, or Muslim practicing. And so, uh, so yeah, there's a, a lot of ignorance to what's happening. Somebody pointed out, you know, they keep making claims of ethnic cleansing and things of that nature. It has, has nothing to do with that and the fighting. And, and, uh, someone pointed out recently that the Palestinian population went from 1.2 million to over 7 million. Now this is the worst attempt of ethnic cleansing. If it is in world history, this is not what's occurring at all. Um, just really kind of sad, the misconceptions and things that are coming up. If we take Mr. and Mrs. Palestine, and they've got two kids, and they play soccer, and they have jobs, how do they feel about Hamas and what Hamas is doing? Are they supporting Hamas, or are they? That, are they? Do they hate the Jews, the, the average Palestinian? There's uh, probably a couple ways to look at it. There, I'm glad your guys' input on this too. Um, within the Gaza Strip itself, like I said, the overwhelming majority voted for Hamas to come in. Okay. Now, whether that was a free will or they were forced to do that, mm-hmm. that's probably up for debate. I would say there's a sympathy. And, you know, these kids are trained from the time they're young. They're in youth camps and they're not learning how to play soccer or arts and crafts and okay. things like that. It's not that type of camp. They're learning how to basically become a freedom fighter. Wow. That's their words. Wow. And the enemy is Israel. And so from a young age, they're doing this. There's textbooks call for the annihilation of, of Israel. They're okay. in, the, in the map of the Middle East, there's no Israel. This is what they're trained for. So there's that sympathy. Are there exceptions? Obviously. I will mm-hmm. say this. There are believers that are in the Gaza Strip who are Palestinian, and they are caught in the crossfire of that. And I pray for their protection and safety, and I pray that God would use these Palestinian believers um, in this very difficult time to show his glory. So there there is hope in the midst of this. Mm-hmm. And they're greatly outnumbered. Um I think uh, Gaza Strip is 2.2 or 2.3 million people. There's 500 to 700 of them are Christians. Oh, wow. So, and they're not looked upon with favor. But here's the thing about the Middle East. Don't always listen to what they say. Watch what they do. Because a rank-and-file Palestinian person has to be very, very careful what they say. But what they do really tells who they are. So they're wise in that way because they have to live there. But 
I don't know, Trevor, you remember a couple years back, uh, one of the peace solution was, okay, let's keep Israel all Jewish and all the Arab uh, Israelis who are citizens, let them go under the authority of the Palestinians. That was that balloon was shot down before it even left the hand. Mm-hmm. They want no part of it. Mm. All right, we're going to take a little break. We'll be right back with at least two Jews and a Gentile. Tom, Aaron, Trevor, that's my panel today. We'll be right back. When you sponsor a child in need, you change their life. Your child learns that God loves them more than they can imagine and that he has special plans for their life. Your child gets help with school and is taught leadership, life skills, and how to overcome poverty and succeed. Your child gets nutritious food and vital medical care that often saves lives. You might not be able to change the world, but for one child, you can change theirs. Meet the kids. Find your child at MyFaithRadio.com. Welcome to the show. It is at least two Jews and a Gentile. We're discussing what's going on in Israel, and it's a heavy discussion, but we're learning a lot, and God's got a plan for everything. He is sovereignly in control, and I'm so grateful. Aaron Rubenstein, Aaron Broughton, and Tom Berkowitz are my panel today. So let's uh, talk about, is there been a change of mindset with Israelis? Before we get to that, I just wanted to uh, point out that I was thinking earlier in this episode, isn't it funny that... uh, that Aaron here, our Gentile, has a Jewish name, and myself, Trevor, I have a very Gentile name, and then you, you just confuse the two of them. So I figured that's about appropriate. That I know. makes sense. I know. <laughs> there should be a, a, a quiz as to who's the Gentile and who are the two Jews on the panel. Please don't do that. He speaks uh, Hebrew. Hebrew. I know. <laughs> He's going to show you guys up fast. Yeah. No. So what about the the change in mindset with Israelis? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the hope, right? Uh, but we are seeing some things occurring. You know, Israel is a very secular nation, of course. And, uh, and as we recognize here in America and we've seen throughout world history is that when there's great tragedy, many people will look for spiritual truth and will turn to some form of religious belief system. And so, uh, for example, during uh, during September 11th, we saw you know, a massive influx of church attendance immediately after here in America uh, when the terrorist attack came upon our country. And so very in a similar manner in Israel, um, we're also seeing this occurring. So uh, so we're seeing a lot of Jewish people, you know, in the military who would have been secular requesting talits, which are the Jewish prayer shawls and different uh, type of elements and uh, different ways of practicing, kind of becoming more religious in their practice, in their understanding, moving away from secularism, um, which, you know, can be good or bad. Again, there there is no salvation in rabbinical Judaism. Rabbinical Judaism does not offer eternal life for anybody. The, a recognition of who God is is universally wonderful and good, um, but unfortunately is not how we receive eternal life. We receive eternal life... Um, by recognizing that in our sin, God sent his son to die for us so that if we put our faith and trust in him and his death 
for our forgiveness, taking the punishment that we deserve upon himself. And then we also believe that then God rose him from the dead. Then that by the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, we too will be raised. This is where eternal life comes from, not through rabbinical practice or understanding. So, so there's a shortcoming there, but um, something I wanted to share just very briefly, we have a couple uh, testimonies that I know of, and there's been many since. This was actually very early in the incident. So uh, the organization that I'm with, right, Chosen People, we we, uh, we do a lot of outreach in Israel also, and uh, we have um, some individuals that have been volunteering and bringing supplies for distribution in places of need amongst the Israelis. A lot of people don't recognize this. I think that there's over 300,000 Israelis that have been displaced from their homes in this. And, uh, you know, there's some massive things that have been going on and some real needs. And so we, we, we take some supplies to Israelis and we distribute them. And one of the distribution centers um, that we bring these things to are actually in um, police stations. And so uh, one of our one of our uh, people working for us, his name is David. He went to a police station, and one of the police officers is an Orthodox Jewish man. And in uh, this Orthodox Jewish man, knowing who we are, he said, uh, he said, "I have to apologize to you." He said, "I have always looked disparagingly upon you as Messianic Jews because of your faith in Jesus." And he said, uh, um, he said, "But we're we're." Uh, he said that we're all Jews. He said we're united, and and I'm recognizing that I was wrong. I want to learn more about him. Whoa, um, <laughs> I love it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and yeah. Uh, and actually, there was a young lady who, in the midst of all this, started reading Zechariah chapter twelve. And Zechariah chapter twelve, of course, is a very important prophecy, um, really talking about the nations rising up against Israel, and the Lord miraculously intervenes, and then. After the Lord intervenes um, with uh, in the midst of this great tragedy, it makes a statement in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. It says, And I will pour on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. And this is God speaking, and he makes this powerful statement. He says, Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for his firstborn. Of course, this is written hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus. And uh, and it's talking about God who is pierced. And so this uh, young Jewish lady in reading this came to faith in, in Jesus and reached out to us to be baptized and to come to faith. So, I mean, God willing, uh, we'll, we'll see, uh, I think that we'll see some good things coming out of this because unfortunately sometimes out of great tragedy, I mean, that's even my personal story. Uh, we look for something more more important, something eternal, and uh, and so God willing, we'll see more of that. Mm-hmm. Your ministry, chosen people ministry in Israel, is really poised to help, aren't they? Well, that's that's the focus and the heart, and, and uh, um, yeah, you know, and, and we're we're a, we're an evangelistic ministry primarily, right. and and there's wonderful organizations that do humanitarian work exclusively in Israel, but. Uh, um, but again, uh, really, if if we help somebody with their needs, that's that's very valuable. Mm-hmm. But but it's but it's temporarily valuable. Uh, if we if we help someone to know Yeshua, Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that's eternally valuable. Mm-hmm. And if anyone listening wanted to support Israel or or not pray for peace of Jerusalem or make a donation of any kind. They could go to chosenpeople.com, couldn't they? Yeah, yeah, and and, uh, and our organization under the Pray for Israel section uh, yeah. is taking donations specifically that's going to um, to minister to and to Sweet. provide for needs for the people. Yeah, the opportunity is right now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, and and you know, it, I have my old pastor. He uh, 
I, I grew up in Littleton, Colorado for the most part, and our the church I attended was right across the street from Columbine High School. And uh, and my old pastor actually did most of the funerals, but but he taught me this and just very clearly because we we saw the open door for the gospel that came out of great tragedy. And it's not like it's not like we're we're opportunistic in the sense, but but our heart is is broken for people, and mm-hmm. we want more and more people to know the Lord. And He's re- is really the only one that can heal us, give us the hope that we need, um, change our focus from things that are more self centered to the things that are more eternal. And uh, and so through what I saw Him do in becoming, and He actually became an FBI uh, an FBI chaplain as a result because He saw that when there's disaster, there's great need. Appreciate that, Trevor. Tom, Aaron, we just got a couple of minutes left. I think one thing to, when we come to helping Israel and all that, one thing I encourage uh, believers is this. You know, if you want to give just to help humanitarian aid, help humanitarian aid, there's a lot of good works that right, do that. Right, of course. But my prayer is this, that we would also consider the gospel being presented. Um, our own ministry that we have, we have a humanitarian aid organization as well in Israel, and we do it everything in the name of Yeshua and everything in the name of Jesus, uh, Project Nehemiah. I was the director of it for several years over there. Um, is that projectnehemiah.com? I, I would go to ibjm.org. Ibjm.org. That stands for International Board of Jewish Missions, and you have a Israel war relief there, and it goes specifically that. But I commend each ministry, commend chosen people uh, for what the work is mm. doing there. We've been able to help give thousands of blankets and food uh, to those nice. on the front lines nice. and helping those in need. Um, there's a lot of displaced people in a lot. We're helping, that's in the very southern tip of Israel near the Red Sea, and we're helping families. We've helped about 20 families already, Beautiful. specifically there. I-J- I-B-J-M. I-B-J-M. Dot org. Dot org. I-B-J-M. Dot org. Another one of your guests you've had on the show, Scott Volk, yeah. who has Together for Israel, mm-hmm. and they you can go there, togetherforisrael.org, mm-hmm. and donate, and 100%, without any drag of any kind, will go for the people in need. And and Together for Israel helps both Jewish and Arab people. Mm -hmm. We just love people. And it's not just humanitarian. It's uh, it's not an either or or in the gospel. It's both and. Mm -hmm. You got to do both and. Bring them goods and preach the word. Yeah. Gentlemen, this is a difficult topic. You've handled it well and you've given us hope. So thank you very much for the discussion I so appreciate these brothers in Christ, uh, Trevor Rubenstein, Aaron Broughton, and Tom Berkowitz. That's all the time we have. Thank you so much for listening to today and for supporting Faith Radio. We so appreciate you. Have a wonderful evening, and I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.